Hi everybody, welcome to episode 8 of And Then an Aeroplane, our Studio Ghibli podcast. I am, as always, your host, Autumn June, and I am joined by M. Eight years of excellence. <laughs> We've been doing this podcast longer than Abnormal Mapping's been running now. It's nice. <laughs> I, I'm not Jackson, so I don't have like a response to the bit that you do on Jackson, every single Jackson podcast. Jackson also never has a response <laughs> to the bit. Don't worry about it. Um, on today's episode, we're watching uh, Porco Rosso. Um yeah, we got we got news. You said you want to do some news yes. first. Yes, I will do the news before we um, get into the like show proper. Uh, I I didn't even mean to go looking for news, but I saw that uh, uh, G Kids has made it so that you can now digitally purchase like almost every Studio Ghibli film on like you know iTunes, Amazon Prime, Google Play, like all those sorts of. Uh, movie stores where you buy and rent movies digitally um it's everything except um cagliostro obviously and uh grave of the fireflies um because grave of the fireflies has different distribution rights yeah um they're 20 dollars a pop and i gotta say friends uh don't probably don't buy these but if you do want to buy movies digitally like you can do that now i just don't think that like you should spend 20 dollars on like digital movies. locker equipment yes no i agree um if you want the blu-rays you can usually find everything but the like most recent g kids ones on ebay that's how i've been rounding out my collection people getting rid of those disney ones for like 10 to 15 dollars a pop great way to collect a bunch of blu-rays um and they're all in pretty good condition you know you got to shop around a little but if you're working ahead like me on this podcast i st- still have a couple to get but i have most everything and uh i don't i think i paid 20 dollars for uh only yesterday and then mm. that's it <laughs> so far so yeah i'm also reading here that for a hundred dollars you can get six movies uh howl's moving castle kiki totoro ponyo mononoke spirited away that yeah. is that is a bad deal friends <laughs> <laughs> i mean the, the, the if you want like the shortcut to like a robust uh, all the hits that that's probably the one to get would be my guess yeah like that is all the hits. Um, I mean, it's missing some of my favorites, but, like, that is, like, you know, the hits, like, the most popular ones, probably the ones that you should see, I guess. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, uh, I think that's all we have as far as news. This is not a news podcast. <laughs> uh, the hot uh, Ghibli news. You think we're uh, going to hear anything about the next movie while we're doing this podcast? Uh, well, they said... It's supposed to be before the 2020 Olympics, so... That's like, coming out. Like, we will still be doing this podcast when the 2020 Olympics roll around. Um, I'm sure also while we're doing this podcast, like, the new year will roll around and G-Kids will announce another run of, like, they screen uh, movies in the theaters, like, periodically. I'll try yeah. to keep an eye on that and let listeners know, like, oh, you know... This movie's almost coming all, up. Almost all these Blu-rays are like $15, $16 on Amazon. Don't don't pay $20 for digital ones. Yeah. You should you should own the thing if you're going to pay money for it. Uh, yeah, because eventually whatever site they're, you know, don't trust the digital locker. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think if that's everything, do you want to summarize Porco Rosso? No. <laughs> 
I can do it. No, I do not. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, uh, let's see. Porco Rosso is from 1992, <laughs> uh, directed and written by Hayao Miyazaki, uh, based on a manga that he made. This oh. movie was made for a uh, airline. It was originally just going to be a thing that they showed there, um, and that's why it opens with a, like, seven languages opening crawl, which is cool. Um, yeah. And uh, then proceeds to be a story about Pocoroso, who is a Italian uh, f- fighter pilot, uh, flies planes. This is in the years between the two world wars. And he just kind of bumming around doing odd jobs in the world, um, trying to outrun uh, the changing world around him. And when he has to go uh, to Italy to get his plane fixed, the part where all the fascist police want to capture him because he's flying a plane illegally because he's not part of the air force anymore um anyway he has a girlfriend who is, sings at this hotel on an island called the the hotel is called the adriano and uh she really wants him to stop bumming around getting in action hijinks and marry her clearly uh but he is uh, obtuse willfully and uh instead she is courted by everyone including this ace pilot named curtis uh, who is an American who the pi- pirates uh, hired to help them defeat Porco Rosso. Um, and he's just a straight up like action hero man who wants to be president. Just a real Ronald Reagan motherfucker. <laughs> and um, him and Porco fight and he, Curtis shoots him down. And so Porco has to go and get his plane fixed. And he goes to Milan to do that. Uh, going to uh, Piccolo Company. That's what it's called, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So he goes to Piccolo Company where his plane was worked on and the old man there is like, well, I could do it, I guess, but I'm actually going to have my granddaughter Fio do it because she's a whiz. And he's like, oh, I don't know about having a young girl work on my plane. And then there's some stuff about, is it because I'm young or is it because I'm a girl? And he's like both. And then he lets her do it anyway because this is a nice movie and they become friends and she's great at the plane. And all of uh, the Piccolo family come and work on the plane. It's all the women because all the men have left because of the movie says the depression, but also the war. I'm sure most of them also died in the war. Yeah. Um, um, Italy is currently just wreaking havoc on um libya i think at this time yeah Yeah. um anyway she builds the plane new and better so he can beat curtis um and then he ends up with a huge bill that he cannot pay because no one has any money because they're in the middle of uh, middle period italy you know between the two world wars no one has any money in europe um and he gets in this bet with Curtis that they're going to have one last drag out match. And if he wins, Curtis is going to pay all his bills. And if uh, Curtis wins, then he gets uh, the hand of Theo, who agrees to marry him because he's the dope who falls for every woman he sees. <laughs> um, they have a big drag out fight that is both a dog fight and like an actual fisticuffs fight. Um and right at the very end, Gina shows up to tell uh, Porco Rosso to stand the fuck up. And he does and wins. And that's the end. And it's like years later, Fio became the president of her company. And uh, Gina continued to have the club and all the pi- old pirates hang out there now. Did Gina ever see Porco Rosso again? Who can say? Uh, which is the plot. Also, Porco Rosso is a pig. I guess I didn't mention that. He's an <laughs> anthropomorphic pig. He's a he's a pig man because of some spell that was put on him that is left kind of nebulous. Yeah. Um, it's implied that, like, he got it for deserting or, like, leaving his friends in a dogfight or something, but it's yeah. not really, like, explicit about it. 
Um, so yeah, and at the end, at the end, there is some implication that he might have lost his piggishness through the course of the movie. Yeah. Um. So, I watched uh, the dub of this movie. Um. Uh, because I've seen the dub a couple times before, and I've always really liked it. Um, yes. I think it's maybe the best Disney dub we've seen so far. Uh, and then, because you mentioned mm-hmm. it... Hmm. I think I would give that to Nausicaa, but... I it, think Nausicaa's the... Nausicaa is, like, the competition, uh, for yeah. sure. But, because you recommended it, I did end up watching the sub, and I'm like, oh, this is still a hundred times better. Like, the, yeah. I do really like the dub, but the sub is super good, and I just want to recommend that to, uh... So do you, do you just want to go through a cast now, then? Yeah, totally. Okay, so the, the movie originally came out in 92. The Disney dub is from 2003. Uh, there is a uh, Japan Airlines dub from, I assume, the time, but uh, like all the dubs of that era can't be found, basically, so uh, yeah. we did not cover it. Anyway, Porco Rosso himself is voiced by Shuichiro Moriyama. Um, he's mostly done like a bunch of small roles. He didn't really have much of a bibliography or a filmography. Uh, he's he's in some Lupin movies. He's done some voices, but doesn't seem like he's done a lot here. Hmm. Um, I feel like the part where this was made for, like, you know, an airliner is very clear in, like, the voice talent is not the kind of star-studded voice talent that most of the Ghibli movies have had to date. Right. Um, not that it's bad. It's just they've made more interesting choices. Anyway, in the English, he is voiced by Michael Keaton. Um, if you don't know who Michael Keaton is, I don't know what to tell you. He's yeah. he's Batman. He's Beetlejuice. He's in Jackie Brown. Um, around this time, he was making Herbie fully loaded for Disney, and then he's in Cars the year after this. So he's probably recording his voice for work for Cars around the same time as Porco Rosso. Um, One of my favorite actors uh, in a very weird period for him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely in the, like, I need to work and no one's hiring me. Um I think he's a weird choice for Porco Rosso because it sounds like he's in an entirely different movie. <laughs> yeah, he's almost he's almost pushing it toward like a noir direction with his like gruffness. Yes, um, yes he's like... he's doing he's like he's doing like a Blade Runner over the entire thing. And one of the, my main complaints about this dub is every other voice around him is doing like extreme cartoon voice, and it's really incongruous. Yeah, um, like. The movie, the movie starts as like very understated and keeps like escalating and escalating. Um, yes. And the voices don't match that, at least in the dub. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he also just has like a very different voice quality to everyone else in this. Um, it's it's just it's an interesting choice. I don't hate it, but it's weird. It's very incongruous. I I hate actually the voices around him that are just doing cartoon voices way more. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we'll talk about that. So next up, we have Donald Curtis, the American ace pilot slash future president candidate slash movie actor. Um, in Japanese, he is voiced by Akio Otsuka. If you don't know who that is, well, shame on you. Um, <laughs> he is the voice of a solid, liquid, solidus, and venom snake. Dear uh, listeners, bu- I didn't know that until I opened his Wikipedia page just now. Yes, he is Bateau <laughs> in Ghost of the Shell. He's all for one in My Hero Academia. He's Zaya Norton in Kingdom Hearts. He is Anavel Gato himself in Stardust Memory. Um, <laughs> hero, the hero of Zeon. Um, just, just a classic, just voice actor. He's done tons of roles. These are just the ones that I particularly like. Um, and then in English, he's voiced by uh, Carrie Elwes uh, from The Princess Bride, Robin Hood, Man in Tights, Saw. Um, around this time, he's in Ella Enchanted. Um, and he's just doing this, like, extremely hokey southern accent that sucks. 
chewing a lot more scenery than he should be. Yes, I think it I think it single-handedly hurts the movie more than anyone else. I think so too. Um, I think so too. Like, yeah, it's and and when I was listening to the dub a little bit, like, um there's a bit where um like Akio says Yahoo and it's like much just much better than Carrie Elwes does it. <laughs> yes. The thing here is that because he's so broad, it makes Porco Rosso seem more serious than he should be. Like, yeah. when we talk about the actual themes of this movie, the thing I like about this movie is it's about two guys who are both ridiculous, but you, like, everyone around them thinks that they're, like, romantic heroes of an age that is re- rapidly disappearing when they're both buffoons. And that's really important, and it doesn't work when one of them is doing the comedy Southern voice. <laughs> um... Yeah, I think you're totally on the money with that. Um, anyway, uh, we have Madame Gina, who uh, sings at the uh, Hotel Adriano. In Japanese, she's voiced by Tokiko Kato. She's mostly a singer. Uh, she's in very few movies, but put out albums throughout the 70s. So I assume that they just wanted a, a singer that they liked to do this. Um, in English, she is voiced by Susan Egan. She's a Broadway actress and singer. Uh, she played Belle on Broadway in the Beauty and the Beast production. She's the voice of Megara in uh, Hercules. And she's also the voice of Rose Quartz, which is the only thing I could think of listening to her in this movie. Um, Rose Quartz from Steven Universe. I mean, like, I think her Meg voice and her Rose Quartz voice sound exactly the same to begin with. So, like... As soon as I was like, I I know this voice somewhere. The dog also knows the voice from somewhere. <laughs> um, um, we left off with Gina. Yeah, I uh, you said that her Megara voice and Rose Quartz voice were basically the same. Yeah, and yeah, as soon as I like placed her, um, it's like, oh yeah, like the whole movie. That's all I could hear. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I was just hearing Rose Quartz. Um, I don't know Hercules as well as Steven Universe. She's also going to be back in Spirited Away as one of my favorite ancillary Ghibli characters. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. I forgot she's in Spirited Away. Yes. Okay. Uh, then we have the leader of the Sky Pirates, uh, who are the uh, Mama Aito uh, gang. And their boss is voiced by Tsunihiko Kamikjo. And he's another singer and vo- uh, voice actor. This is his first anime that he's in, but he's also going to show up in Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away. Um and he's in English, voiced by Brad Garrett, doing his Brad Garrett thing, which I've already mentioned <laughs> hating, and I double plus hate it this time. Um, uh, I finally looked up what Brad Garrett was doing around this time. In 2003, he was, uh, he'd recently come off of uh, doing voices in Finding Nemo. Um, but, you know, he's from Everybody Loves Raymond, and he fucking sucks. I just hate it. I just hate him. He's, <laughs> he's just a goof in a way that infuriates me. You ever just listen to someone, you're like, this person's a fool. I hate them, because they're a fool. That's how I feel about Brad Garrett. Maybe he's fine. I don't know. But just l- listening to his voice makes me mad. <laughs> I just opened his Wikipedia page and saw he's also a professional po- poker player, and now I, too, hate him in a way yes. that I didn't until now. <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, but he he's also just, like, really hamming it up when this is, like, a comedic character, but he's not quite this in the Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I say, I do really like the dub. I just think that, like, some of the actors are making, like, choices that I would just... I would just tell them to tone it down, I guess. Yes. You yes. know? Um, Porco Rosso is... In some ways, one of the most subdued movies we've seen until, um, until like the final moments. Um, yeah. 
And I guess I guess the opening and the closing are really unsubdued. <laughs> but um, yeah. it's got a very. I was thinking this time as I watched it, it's got a very like fairy tale quality to it, um, which like feels obvious in retrospect. But it's like, um, you know, it's very much a like as you said, like the last uh, romantic heroes of a dying age, like you can just change like a dozen thing, like a dozen very minor things. And this is suddenly like a Western, um, yep. you know? Yeah. Um, and I really adore this movie. I was almost worried that I'd overhyped you, you, it. We, we, but... You were, you were moving on. I still have two characters to do. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Please. you were just continuing to talk about the incongruity between the Japanese and the English versions, but no, no, nope. have two characters. We have Mr. Piccolo, <laughs> Uh, who runs the the Piccolo Company, the old man. In Japanese, he's voiced by Shanshi Katsura, who is a TV presenter and Rakugo artist. Rakugo is like one-person theater poetry. It's like a very traditional art form. Mm. Uh, this is like one of his only movies, uh, which is an interesting casting. Uh, in English, he's the one person I think is just a genuine good choice. He is voiced by da- David Ogden Steers. Um, I know him mostly from MASH, where he plays Charles and Emerson Winchester III, which is a show I watched a bunch as a kid. Uh, he's in Perry Mason. He's Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast. Um, around the time of this movie, he is doing work in Disney, voicing Dr. Jumba Jukiba in Lilo and Stitch and the TV show and the sequel and all of that. Um, and then we have Theo. You, 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 I can't believe you were just going to move on before we talked about Theo. I cannot believe that I was going to skip Theo of all people. <laughs> so, uh, Theo, the young prodigy, uh, voiced in Japanese by Akemi Okamura, She's mostly been doing Nami and One Piece forever because One Piece is going forever. Like, I'll be dead before One Piece is over. What um, a steady paycheck. Like, good yes. for her. <laughs> uh, she is Mayaya in Princess Jellyfish. She's also, just for me, because uh, the, the, this movie came out around the same time, she is the dub voice of Five Mouskowitz in Japan for uh, American Tale. Mm-hmm. Um which is cool. And then because this is a Disney dub, of course, uh, her English voice is Kimberly Williams Paisley, who didn't know who this was no. <laughs> at all. No. Um, so she became famous in the early nineties for being in father, of the bride and father, of the bride part two, which are movies that nobody remembers because nobody cares. I love um, vampire weekend, but around this time she was in, according to Jim for like seven seasons, which is a show I've never seen. Um, she's married to Brad Paisley. That, that's her claim to fame seemingly and being in this movie. So Disney picking out like, you know, an actress for the young role that is just part of their machine that you right. never heard of. Some of them you've heard of, right? But sometimes you get Anna Paquin and sometimes you get Kimberly Williams Paisley. <laughs> um, she does a better job than Anna Paquin did, though. I'll tell, I'll say that. Which, much. Who was Anna Paquin? She was um, Castle in the Sky lady. Yes, and I can't she absolutely does a better job than Anna Paquin. I yes. do. Uh, I forgot that. Um, I think I really don't like her very much. Uh, which is weird, given how much I love Fio, but um, I still am not in love with her performance. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, totally lost my train of thought because I, I just thought about... Uh, I was just thinking about the scene with Fio that introduces her, and like... I'll just go into like a brief history of me in this movie real quick. Uh, sure. I, I probably saw this movie a month after um, like starting to transition... Um, and so, like, really latched onto Fio as, like, 
oh, she's like a cool girl and I'm going to be a cool girl. Um, and so I really heavily identify with this movie. And I was worried that because of that, like, identification, like, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't going to like this movie as much the first time because I was, or as much this time because, um, like, I'd maybe overhyped it in my brain. And I definitely, it was interesting because I don't identify with Theo in the same way, but I think that the movie might be better because of it. Um, like, um, Theo is incredibly young and plucky and, like, like, I don't know, I'm just, like, three or f- three years older now and, like, don't need to see myself as, like, um, the young plucky upstart um, that she is. Um, I'm, tr- I'm tr- trying to come up, trying to figure out where I was going with this and I lost my train of thought, sorry. That's all right. Uh, this is one of those movies where, like, I really liked it. It was like my Dark Horse Ghibli movie that I loved um, back in the day. Uh, and I was interesting, interested in returning to it because, the, you know, this is the one where the screenshot goes around where I'd rather be a pig than a fascist that mm-hmm. Corporosa says to mm-hmm. the guy in the movie theater or whatever. And so I was like, my, my ideology and political leanings are very different than it was when I watched this movie the last time. Um, how am I going to feel about that stuff? And my actual answer is that none of that actually matters that much. It's not what right. the movie's about. Um because while Porco Rosso is like, you know, he, he doesn't want to be a fascist, does not want to be bothered by the fascist police. The movie is more about the inability of these characters to escape the world that is about to crash down upon them. It's like the end state of like the old style of heroism and it being like devolving into self-parody as reality encroaches on the edges of the movie. Um, which I think like, it's important that this is like, has a real historical context. It takes place in relatively realistic locations outside of Porco being a pig. There's no magic in this world. Like they just build planes and fight planes and fly around and talk a bunch. Like there's nothing fantastical in the same way as most of the other movies we covered. And yet you still have these like, you know, Ronald Reagan versus the pig who flies and these two ridiculous cartoons that are going to slug it out for 15 minutes at the end of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think I watched this movie the first time because like that screenshot goes around and I was like, Oh, I'm interested in like a Ghibli movie about fascism. I'll watch that. This is not a movie about fascism. It is about, it is a movie about like the war is coming. You as the audience know that. Um, and like, like spending time in this space that is like like has this encroaching disaster but like disaster is maybe even too strong of a word for how the movie sees it or not the right word anyway like um it's just like it's just like a huge inconvenience for everyone and i mean that in like i mean that in like the kind of petty sense but also in the like like inconveniences are real problems. Like we have inconvenience in our lives that really ruin our lives. And this, like these people's lives are very negatively affected by what's happening, but they're mostly really annoyed that it's happening. Like, it's not like this is an evil. We have to fight. It's the Casablanca. Like, man, I wish we weren't stuck in this hellhole right now. Uh, right. And like, you know, Porco, like very conveniently sums up the whole movie in one line. Um, where like he says, um, I believe in the dub, I've memorized it because I just, it's very memorizable. Um, so long to freedom in the Adriatic and days of wild abandon. 
And uh-huh. like the other people in the bar are like, oh, is that Shakespeare? Is that Byron? And he's like, no, it's me. No, it's me. Yeah, <laughs> such a good... Which is fucking incredible. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, like all these people see themselves in these very poetic ways. And the movie is willing to like give them that a little bit. Is like letting them be poetic and like romantic. Um, yeah. And like it's it ends up being like very sweet um and endearing despite like you know like you know that like oh that character who i think is charming is like a soldier in the italian military in 1929 or whatever yeah i mean this 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 movie lives in an interesting place because it exists in the friction between miyazaki is a person who loves romanticism to the to a fa- to a fault like he makes movies that are about escaping from the real world to this vision of his r- way of thinking things should be which is often very devoid of politics and history mm-hmm. um and aestheticizes things that are problematic like you know this podcast is named after airplanes and the airplanes that he likes are often the airplanes that are like at the dawn of aviation which is about industry and imperialism and the world wars there's no way to divorce planes from that um because that's the history that is given to us mm-hmm. uh, i'm really interested to watch the wind rises i know that's all about this and i've never seen it so it's yeah. kind of at the end of our road but it's like the end state of this and this definitely exists in a weird place where like i it will i feel like it'd be very easy for him to lean too far into none of this matters and we can just enjoy the planes and who cares and we've seen those movies like mm-hmm. laputa is very pat about its ideology because it really wants you to think that the floating castle is cool and you know what the floating castle is pretty cool um <laughs> but this movie allows that friction to exist because you have these characters these two ca- larger than life characters existing in a world around people who are suffering and are living a realistic life and like gina's always there to scoff at these stupid men and ride in and be like the actual adult in the room um in a way that like excuses their bad behavior in a way that's like you know not great in terms of like do i want a movie that is like espousing a worldview that i agree with no but Mm -hmm. this is like you know as the entertainment of this stuff gina's like a hero that we like to see ride in and tell uh porco to stand the fuck up get out of the water yeah um and that, that, that applies to like Fio too. Like Fio is a character that exists in this weird place where like she is the plucky young Miyazaki protagonist, but also she is introduced halfway into the movie. And also she's older than all the ones we've seen before. She's 17. And also she exists in a world where like men's attention exists. Like, yeah. Uh, like, uh, Mr. Piccolo tells Porco multiple times to keep his hands off his granddaughter. Uh, Porco's not interested, really, but, you know, they do play this as, like, a recurring joke. And then Curtis shows up, and he's as old as Porco, but, like, probably in his, like, late 20s, early 30s, and is definitely interested in Fio. He immediately proposes to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and those tensions are, like, real-world tensions that have otherwise not really been in these movies before like outside of lupin which you know is part and even in lupin it's much reduced from lupin the comic and lupin the anime um there hasn't been any idea of actual sexual tension um or Mm. peril which does exist in this movie um which i think is like inherent to it's like we're encroaching on reality with these films finally yeah um you know i was watching this with nora and like uh because like she just didn't care for the movie, just, like, it just didn't really appeal to her. You know, it wasn't like she had some problem with the movie. But 
an interesting effect of that was that like um she, the thing she really fixated on because uh she wasn't enjoying the movie was all the men being very weird to um uh Fio and like that was just the thing that like totally like took her out of the experience in a lot of ways whereas for me it's like oh yeah like that's kind of what 1929 was like and it is just this like really I mean, gross in thing. large portion that's that's like how things are still like right yeah for sure for sure and uh i don't think the movie like overindulges in this but there there is the reality that she's like a young woman in a society that's going to value her youth and her beauty as valuable things as sexual objects beyond her worth as a person and like her relationship with porco is all about him recognizing that she's a good mechanic and her recognizing that he's like a decent person behind his swagger and bullshit. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I didn't really like, um, uh, uh, sorry, Kimberly Williams Paisley's, uh, performance in the, yes. in the dub is that I think, um, she sounds like she's like actually interested in Porco at times, which is yes. just not, ex- not what's coming across there. What it is, is that like, She's young and maybe a little infatuated, but mostly, like, um, is able to kind of see through, like, the bullshit image he projects and, like, yes. wants him to do better, you know? Yeah. My but, read uh, on Theo as a character is she wants to be, like, partners in history, like the mechanic behind the pilot who goes down in history is the greatest pilot, right? Yeah. Like, she's she immediately, wants... like, cutting deals and scheming like she's been in business for 30 years. Not that she's, like, has a crush on this one pig. Um, and the part where she starts to see him as like a sweet person has nothing to do with like actual interest and more to do with just like these two humanize each other by going on this adventure together. Right. Like, you know, um, one of the, one of the best scenes with Theo in it is that, um, you know, she wakes up in the middle of the night and, um, like you see, um, how she's like, she is still very young because, um, you know, she says, like, Porco, tell me a bedtime story. But it's not like... She wants to just hear a story before she goes to bed. It's not like, you know, she is a child who needs to be put to bed. Um, but, like... The thing that's so great about that scene is that... Um, like, she she clearly wants to someday have someone tell, like, stories about her... Uh, as they're going to sleep. Like, she wants to be part of the fairy tale that she sees that Porco is living in, you know? Um. But also, like, the thing that he tells her is, like, the story of him when his entire squadron was killed in a battle in the war, and he's the only person left, and he's in this, like, dream, coma, actual afterlife, who can say, where he envisions, like, the heaven of pilots, where he's on a field of clouds and he sees all the other pilots go up into the sky and he's the only one who's left and it's like it it's like a fairy tale but it's it's meant to convey his like pain and reality right like he's a character who after this moment left the army gave up is kind of living a shadow of the person that everyone around him seems to think he is right like he is Mm -hmm. not everyone wants him to be a hero gina's like disgusted that he's not like a normal functioning adult and everyone else thinks that he's like a grand figure of history and in reality he's just kind of a bum uh yeah and and he recognizes that uh and all of his swagger is very much just like that it is a facade and so he gives her this very painful story that is a fairy tale and her reaction to that is to like for the first time see him 
not the pig. Like she sees the man sitting there putting bullets in his gun or whatever he's doing at that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's just a moment. And then when he, when she's like gasped, he turns and he's the pig again. But like the reality of what it means to have that breakthrough where, you know, he treated her like an adult, told her this thing that was technically what she asked for, but was just him laying out his pain and her responding to that by understanding that this is like what it is to be a person. I think it's like one of the best scenes in the movie. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, to kind of hook on to what you were saying about Gina there, another thing um, that's, I was glad I saw the um, sub when I watched this was that, um, like, in the dub, she can sometimes come across as, like, a nag, you know? Um, where in the in the sub, she clearly, like, she loves Porco, she wants, like, the best for him, and he's just, like he's just going to keep like wallowing in this pain and um like she just wants him to see that like he doesn't have he can like let go of that pain and move on a little bit um mm. but also like she's not going to wait for him forever like she's going to marry other men um while he's off doing his like adventures and like days of wild abandon you know yeah. Um, I also wanted to, um, you mentioned um, Castle of Cagliostro and Lupin, and I was thinking a lot about Lupin in this movie because, um, like, it's very similar, like, the setting is very similar, um, like, it is very much like an adventure movie um, in a way that, like, only Cagliostro and Laputa have been, um, but, like, Miyazaki is now, like, 13 years older than he was when he made Lupin, and so, like, comes at this with, like, an older person's perspective, I think, than um, he comes at Lupin with. Um, And I really just thought that was really interesting. Like, um, I want to say it's more mature. I don't know if it's that, but it's, like, Lupin is, like, Lupin as a character is, like, a young man, like, running around and is just going to have adventures forever and there's never those adventures are never going to stop and um porco is a similar character but like those days are very clearly coming to an end yeah i i also think like you know there's no way to talk about this without talking about the big fight at the end right where right we have these two characters who bring themselves to this ridiculous duel with this ridiculous wager that theo gets into because um i mean this like looking ahead a little bit this is not dissimilar to the contest at the end of spirited away like it's it's a it's a wager out of fairy tale right like she's going to give her hand to the victor if the bad Mm -hmm. guy loses um and it's it's meant to be that sort of like fairy tale serial adventure nonsense um and i really i really like the movie takes a time after curtis leaves where perko's like i can't believe you did that it's a terrible idea she's like yeah i know i don't know at the time it seemed great but uh," um and freaks out a little bit it's very good and very human but these two have this big dog fight it's very dramatic and beautiful as all ghibli stuff is and then they run out of bullets 
Uh, and they start throwing things at each other from their airplanes. And then they run out of things to throw at each other and they land in the water and they get out of the water and they just start knocking lumps out of each other. Just Popeye pugilism as they're just covered in bruises and broken teeth and their faces look like potato mashed potatoes. And it just turns into like, it just turns into the cartoons of that, like literally the cartoons of that era, the way it's animated, like everyone's just rubbery and bulky and just punching each other till they collapse at the same time and it's very ridiculous and it just like and there's a whole crowd of all the pirates watching and uh everyone like cheering them on and it just becomes this extremity of itself where like these two characters are so out of time that all they're all that's left to them is Mm self-parody and as like the end point of these characters were like Curtis is going to leave and go back to America and be in movies. And maybe he'll be president someday. Porco Rose is going to disappear um, as far as the plot's concerned. And maybe he hooks up with Gina again. And who can say? No one's going to tell. Um, like, these, this is the end state of these characters. Like, they're going to beat each other nearly to death, but in a way that clearly is not real or impactful. Like, no one's getting concussions. They're all cartoon characters in this moment. Mm. And then they're going to fly away, and that's going to be the end of this world, right? Like, it's literally the end of a conception of what this version of heroism is. Um and it's interesting to me because like in terms of uh Miyazaki's whole milieu like we're we're not we're not even halfway I don't think no. or we're around halfway maybe but like we have plenty more to go um and there are big action movies ahead of us uh, you know like we're going to watch Mononoke which is a very different thing I know but even something like um uh like Spirited Away has like action elements and stuff but this to me feels like a recognition of like the type of thing that Miyazaki that I think the kind of movie he probably likes him coming to terms with the fact that it is not in fashion anymore. Right. Like, yeah, this is, this is the, this is, this is like the Indiana Jones four, but it doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> like where you look at, where you look at the heroes of your childhood and you go, these things aren't relevant anymore because they don't contain within them the context and understanding of the world that I now have as someone in my thirties or forties or however old he was at this point, probably his forties would be my guess. Yeah. Not looking it up. Um, and so you get to the point where, like, you know, you you still love the things you liked as a kid, but you have to love them differently or you have to let them go. Um, and I think I think in that way, this movie is like good on accident, because I don't think I don't know how much of that's intentional necessarily, uh, given just Miyazaki's movies in general. Um, but also, like, even if it is all intentional, I don't think it's as like well stated as that. I just think it kind of works because they're Ghibli's very good at making movies. Miyazaki's pretty good at putting together a film. Um, and so like, I look at this movie and I see a movie that's like really flawed and has a lot of weird stuff in it that doesn't really gel. Like the running from the fascist police is like, it says nothing. The bit where all of the women come in and build the plane and everyone has a raw, raw feminism, even though they're part of a war machine and it's big, it's dressed in one line right before they say grace, but otherwise doesn't have anything to say about that one way or another. All yeah. of this. Everything yeah. about Porco, everything about Porco is like a noir hero as he's wandering around places in a trench coat. He's like aestheticism for aestheticism's sake. It, it says nothing. He's not actually that character, um, aside from Michael Keaton's voice acting, I guess. <laughs> um, but he's not like that in the context of the movie. He's not that character at all. Anyway, um, all that stuff is like a film that is like, uh, like reaching for a lot of different things and pulling from a lot of different influences. Mm. And I think it really works for me, but I don't know if it's like, like, this is not, like, a, a one of the best Ghibli movies. I just like it more than all the other, most of the other ones. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, like, one of the first scenes in the movie is, um, 
like, him going to the bar and talking to the pirates and talking to the Curtis, and, like, that just, like, makes me think about Casablanca, and I just like movies when they make me think about Casablanca. Like, that's just a thing I'm always going to enjoy, and, like, in some ways, like, Porco Rosso is doing, like, all the hits for maybe me specifically, maybe for, like, a small handful of people, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's just real. it's just really good. <laughs> yeah. Um... You know, like the the scene the scene that the movie opens on, um, like of Porco like saving the little girls is like also an incredibly over the top thing that is just like just like really got me into the movie and just like is an exciting thing to start on and like the movie is just able to carry the momentum um, through that for you know. It, for 90 minutes and this movie has like the good grace to be really short. Um, <laughs> um. Yeah, no, that's fair. Also like that opening scene, which we didn't really talk about with all the girls is great because uh, it just like he, it's just Porco Rosso running across the cast of Madeline, like the Madeline books <laughs> briefly, just this like, tw- like 15 identical girls who are all just shit stirs because they're six and they don't give a fuck about the peril they're in. <laughs> and it's so good. I love all of them because they're just messing with these pirates. They don't care. It's like a very, it's like a very different perception of like the other type of Miyazaki protagonist, like the, the young girl, the younger sister in, uh, Totoro or whatever like they're just the characters who are unaffected by the world because they're still so young they don't have a conception mm-hmm. and for them to be the thing that like intros this movie that otherwise is like a bunch of men moping about how the world doesn't cater to them anymore until Theo shows up and like adds humanity back into it I think is like a good choice I think it's really thoughtful also they're great I, they're just funny they're great um like they actually also tie into like um a, an interesting thread that I don't think adds up to a lot is that like um we see them we see a plane um full of like girls taking a tour of the island we see a cruise full of people on tour um and like there is clearly a little cottage industry of people selling like oh maybe you're gonna get kidnapped and see a dog fight um like maybe you will get rescued by porco rosso or maybe like bounty hunters will show up and it's just gonna be cool to see all the planes and it's very funny to like see the movie kind of commenting on how cool the movie thinks this is, but I don't think it adds, I don't think it adds up to a lot in the I movie. Mean, it definitely like depicts the pirates and Parker Rose and all of them is like engaging in this kayfabe reality where like they're still living out their dreams of piracy and heroism on the seas, even though like mm-hmm. in reality, he he's, he flags down to them. Like, I'll give you half the money. Just let the kids go. We'll do this again next week. Who cares? Yeah. Right? He doesn't want them, the mama Yuta game to go out of business because then he'd go out of business. Yeah. Um, um, and so you get the sense that this is just something they do every week, right? Like it's turned into like postmodern heroism and like the very like negative parody way. We're like, yeah, th- th- they're going to catch the bad guys and then the bad guys are going to get out again. We're just going to do this over and over again. This is just the circle because there's nothing else for them to do. They're all stuck out of time. You also get the impression that like um, from one or two uh, lines in the last fight that like, oh, yeah, maybe they're just going to spend the next couple months like doing like fights like this just like oh yeah like come watch us do dog fights or whatever and like like maybe that's just going to be their new scheme for the next little while until like the italian government like puts a puts the end to that or something yeah 
Um, I feel like I had something on the tip of my tongue and it's not coming to me. Well, uh, I don't think I have much else, so unless you can think of it, we'll probably move on to questions. I I feel like it was actually inspired by one of the questions, so let's go let's go to questions and we'll okay. figure it out. If you would like to send questions or comments to this podcast, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. They can be about any of the movies we've covered before, the movie coming up. You know, you know how it goes. Send questions. We love questions. Um, we have three emails uh, this week. Uh, I will read the first one uh, from Caleb. Um, don't have anything insightful about this movie to say other than with some of my favorite Ghibli movies and helped me through a really dark time in my life. Um, one of the nights in a new city where I felt very alone, I was sitting there eating plain oatmeal, feeling hopeless, uh, and something reminded me there were still Ghibli films I hadn't seen yet. Um, and so, uh, put in, uh, Porco Rosso because it was better than playing Dota and really fell for <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, um, Although I haven't watched Porco Rosso since that first time, still associate with the fondness of something. Uh, if only uh, something that for only if only for an hour and forty two minutes helped me forget how alone and miserable I was feeling, and remember there is always hope for a brighter, happier future. Whether that future requires fighting fascists or something as simple as poverty and depression, uh, there's no question here. Just saying this is very meaningful to them, and you know, fair enough. Yeah. I feel that way about a movie coming up. So, in a while. I mean, like I kind of told my story about how like. I felt this way about this movie at one time, and it's it's yep. faded a little bit. Um, I'm still gonna have Fio as my avatar on Discord and uh, Twitter because yep. still love her. She's still great. Sp- uh, a spirited way is this movie for me mm-hmm. for sure. So I'm uh, excited to get to it. And I'm very afraid that I won't like it, but we'll see because it has some of the same problems Kiki does. But it's a it's a better it's a better movie. So it's just a better help. movie. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to read uh, Adam's email? Yes. Um... Give me one second. I closed the line. Adam's email. Um, I saw a few statements from Miyazaki and his producer, uh, uh, Toshio Suzuki, on my Porco Rosso Blu-ray that suggests Porco Rosso was considered more adult-oriented than Miyazaki's previous movies. What do you all think that says about Miyazaki and or the movie? I think they're absolutely right. Like, this is the most adult uh, Miyazaki film we've seen, except for maybe Nausicaä. Um, yeah, you know, I'd say... If we're just taking movie Nausicaa, I would consider this more adult just because of yeah, a lot of the, for sure. like, there's like a general seediness that I think is like a thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't show like a six-year-old this movie, right? No, no. Um, like, I do just, I think it is about like, I think like the themes of like, you know, the the West dying or whatever are like just things that adults like would have a better grasp on like it is a movie about aging in some ways like um i just i think it is that and i think like it does that through like a fairy tale quality with like 
um, a pig who can fly, but like, so like Guillermo del Toro won Oscars for, um, doing like fairy tale, uh, but it's serious, you know? Sure. Even, even beyond that, the thing I think that Parker also does that we haven't seen in a Ghibli movie before. And what I think is like a sign of stuff that is, (coughs) excuse me, um, that is more mature. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's for adults, but I would say more mature. And this is because we run into this in Gundam all the time, which is ostensibly a show for children is that it takes a high level of media literacy to make a piece of media that requires you to look at the protagonist and recognize that they're wrong without the movie telling you that they're wrong. Um, and I think in this movie, Porco Rosso is mostly wrong all the time. And I think you have to be able to discern that. Otherwise you're going to take very negative things out of this movie. I think. Um, not, not like world shattering. This movie's not like problematic or anything, but mm-hmm. like he is a character that has a very narrow worldview, a very narrow reaction and set and emotional life that I think is like expressed as harmful to him and those around him. And you have to have be at a certain level where you can look at that and call bullshit. And I think you can do that at like a relatively young age if you're, you know, more mature at reading media. But I do think that that's like a bigger ask than most of the prior movies have been about your relationship with the characters. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think I picked up on some of that the first time I saw this movie at like twenty or twenty-one. You know, like yeah. I just think it's like I think the movie is just like asking for a lot from the viewer, and like yeah, yeah I think watching the movie like two times, three times, just, like, I keep seeing more layers to it. And I don't think it's, like, the deepest movie ever, but I think, like, there's just, like, stuff that you have to kind of stew with a little bit. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, And then we have questions from Tron. Uh, As always, thank you, Tron. Uh, What do you think about the soundtrack of this movie? I loved hearing the synths again in the Heaven sequence. I ask this because outside of the Heaven sequence and Gina singing in the bar, I found this soundtrack very generic. Yeah, I like the soundtrack, but it is, like, it doesn't leave a strong impression. I just have, like, there's the one tune from when, um, I think it's a motif that's repeated a few times, but, like, I remember it from when Porco is flying to Milan and, like, Curtis hasn't found him yet. Yeah. Um, I remember that tune because it is, like, very bog-standard, like, air quotes italy music <laughs> yeah um but it's not like great stuff i don't think yeah yeah no i try to keep an ear out for what i might have you use for music in this episode and no idea i'm gonna have to go through it again on youtube and find the songs i want to use because i there was nothing to remark upon other than those two pieces for me yeah um we'll just use the japanese version of Laton de city and the english version and call it a day <laughs> Uh, who's your favorite character in the movie? Um, Theo. I, uh, I started to think about it, and yeah. <laughs> Mine's Gina. I just, I I really like her, like, amused, like, playfulness with Curtis, where she's clearly not interested, but she's going to let this stupid man dash himself on the rocks over and over again uh, and just kind of be delighted at his attention. But also, like, when it comes to, like, serious shit with uh, Porco, there's no time. She's so over that guy and mm-hmm. his dumb antics. Uh, and I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, like, I, I love when um, he calls her and is like, hey, tell... Uh, tell Curtis that he'll be seeing me again. And she's like, I'm not going to participate in your stupid, like chauvinist, like 
pissing contest. Like, I'm not party to this at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was your favorite looking scene in this movie? Tron uh, calls out the heaven sequence and the shot where there's a bunch of sparkles in the water right before Parko gets attacked by Curtis. Um, probably everything around um, Porco's little hideout and specifically the scene where um, like all the pirates are like waiting for him at the hideout, like. Just seeing them like clown car oh, burst yes, out of the tent. Like Twenty of them burst out from under his tent. Yes. <laughs> um, the, my favorite gag is after they've surrounded him. Or whatever. Curtis shows up, like scaling down a sheer like crack in the. Oh cliff. my god! And, and <laughs> Porco so just great. watches him go, and he's like, "Who put a path there?" <laughs> I think in the dub, he's like, Fio, did you put a path there? Which, like, when would she have done that? <laughs> um, my, my actual favorite piece of animation in this movie is when they boot up the engine in the little shed. And oh it's just uh, Mr. Piccolo being blown away as a Porco's just standing there very stoic as, like, everything f- flies apart around him as the shed shakes itself apart. Uh, it's just an incredible piece of animation. There's so much to be said about Porco's a character that is, like, static and stoic and he's wears sunglasses so you never see his eyes and he's just got a cute little pig face and he's just like still in a world that is like moving around him and it's always good when they have those scenes yes um how would you react if you saw an anthropomorphized pig walking around i i would certainly stare at the very least i would certainly turn my head and stare i I can admit that. <laughs> uh, the thing I like about the early stuff in this movie, and I agree, is that everyone in this movie finds Porco Rosso extremely attractive. And that's because yes. he's extremely attractive. <laughs> yes! When he goes up to that girl, it's like, next time we're alone, I'm like, oh, Porco, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I love that Porco's a ladies' man. <laughs> it's great. I mean, like... Yeah. He's but also like, a known like womanizer. In a, in, a, in a very very performative way where you know that he never actually follows up on any of it. Never once. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, he he walks away from that woman to go have, like, to go have dinner privately with, with Gina. And, like, they are not involved. You know, at least not at the moment that we see them. You know? Yeah. Like, he's clearly in love with Gina and not going to do anything about it and not going to put that in jeopardy either. Yep. Um, any thoughts on how fascism is depicted in this movie? I don't know if I have too many. Uh, I don't think it's just a red herring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it really is depicted when he says better a pig than a fascist. He doesn't mean, um, fascism is bad. What he means is he doesn't want to be involved in it. You know, yeah. like I mean, like he definitely doesn't seem keen on the idea of it, but not in like a ideologically sad way. He's just like, this is this is too much trouble. This seems bad, but I don't care. Like the the apathy that pervades the characters around the political situation, I think is like on some level, I think it's good because I think it's real. Um, I think most people don't give a shit. Uh, couldn't tell you what fascism is if it was right in front of them. Mm. Um and uh, I think it's interesting to have characters move through that space. Like, we live in a world today, a lot of fascism. A lot of people probably wouldn't be able to point to it and say, that's fascism. Um, and that's a problem, but it is a reality. Right. Um, oh. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, The ne- so the next two questions are, what's your favorite plane design in the movie? And um, 
what's the funniest scene in the movie? I just yeah. wanted to shout out that both of them are the same. Um, it's when the Mama Yuta gang can't uh, pay to get the tail of their plane painted. It's great. Oh, it's they incredible. just have the metal tail? Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. really good. Um, and all the other pirates see them and laugh. That's It's great. <laughs> yes. Um, my... I really like when they re- wheel the plane out of the piccolo hangar and they take off in the in the canals in the city and they have to like pull them like pull down to get through a tunnel and then use the flaps to right the plane before it crashes into the water. It's all very good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, how do you feel about this movie having nationalities and closer to the ones on planet Earth than previous Studio Ghibli movies? Um, I am reminded of the UN scene in Lupin. Um, yes. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it until just this moment reading that question. Um, it certainly does a better job than Lupin does with uh, yes. real world nationalities. It's a more serious movie than Lupin is generally. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, we've talked about like setting this at a very specific moment in history, like makes the movie what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, but also there's a character walking around doing a comedy over the top Italian accent. Um, so yes. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on how heaven is depicted in this movie? If heaven is real, would you like to be there one day? Uh, to the second part of that question? Yes, obviously. <laughs> um, to the first part, uh, something I meant to shout out and just got lost and it's not super important is that like a, th- a thing that's really important about heaven in that moment is that like, all the pilots are up there and like they are they're not german pilots or italian pilots or american pilots anymore they're just pilots and you can see you can see um on their planes like whatever nation they're flying for but you don't like they're all flying together and like oh the pilot instrumentality project (laughs) (laughs) so we're going to it's called outer heaven we're gonna have Um, which like, there's nothing much to say about it other than like, yeah, of course, like the pilot's vision of heaven is just like a place where they can be free and not have to worry about like factions or whatever, which like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta say the, the concept of heaven is a little oppressive. The idea of a, a place that's just good forever sounds fake just because the limits of my conception, uh, eventually I'll just hate someone there and then I can't leave because it's heaven. Um, <laughs> and I know in theory, in theory, that's not supposed to be the case, but I can't imagine a world where that's true. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> the limits of human conception, right? But, um, uh, if it, if it is all good, then sure. What the hell? But I don't necessarily believe in anything like that, unfortunately. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think of how many people who are like ostensibly good people that I still just fucking hate. And I'm like, I, I, don't know, I don't know how well I'd get on in, in a place where I can't leave and we're all there forever. Forever is a long time. I have problems on like a Tuesday online. Uh, this is why I have a Twitter account, uh, a private Twitter account, so that I can tweet mean things about people who are perfectly fine. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, thanks, Tron, for the questions. Uh, that's all I have. Any last thoughts before we finish up here? Um, movie good. Movie good. Next time, we are watching Ocean Waves, which is a made-for-TV movie uh, that is not by uh, anyone we've seen before. It is directed by Tomomi uh, Mochizuki. 
It aired in 93. Um, there's a Blu-ray. That's why we're covering it. I bought the Blu-ray. Autumn was like, I think, did you just not want to do that one? I was like, I already have a Blu-ray. We're doing it. I paid the money for the Blu-ray. Um, it's also a blessed 72 minutes. So we'll be in and out so Hell quick. Hell yes. Um, um, from what I understand, at least uh, I skimmed the Wikipedia page while Nora was uh, driving through the Wendy's drive through um, uh-huh. It sounds like they wanted to do a TV movie to give like some up and comers at the studio like their shot. It was supposed to be very cheap and uh, ended up not being as cheap as they were hoping for. <laughs> um, okay, so that'll be interesting. Yeah. Um. Again, we'll be back in three weeks. Uh. So this is the last podcast of the year. We did it. We did it. Wow. This will is... be out on. This will be out on Christmas Eve. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, the Sunday um, before Christmas Eve. But uh, it's been uh, it's been a good time since yeah. you know I've enjoyed doing this podcast. It's uh, it's one of the highlights of my every three weeks, which is a bad frame of time, but that's where we're at. <laughs> it's it's better that it's the highlight of my every three weeks than my every two weeks. Um, yes, but also often feel when it's time to come up I'm like i feel like we recorded like seven months ago i have no idea what we've been doing yeah uh, we we hit the two the two week mark since we recorded and i was like oh i gotta get ready and then i was like wow it's been forever and i still have seven more days until we have to record yeah. um but thanks for doing this podcast with me it's been great yeah. thanks everybody for listening um and sending emails we get more emails for this than any other podcast and i'm very happy about that because i think they actually add a lot um for sure so everyone who listens and writes in thank you so much um and uh other before we get into plugs uh seasons on the abnormal mapping network you go there you go to uh, abnormalmapping.com go to seasons they are doing just miyazaki films but that means they have an episode about porcarosa you can listen to that i don't think we covered any of the same material really so it's a good like also ran to this podcast because in reality we're the four of us have very different opinions as our duos here and mm-hmm. so the movie the the podcast almost never come out the same way and that's good i like that it it, 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 it validates my opinions about criticism being something everyone should do um, yes but do um, listen to that i really i listened to their kiki uh episode and it was like very nice to like be reminded of like all the good things about that movie in a way like yes. they come away from that movie so much more positive than we do and i really like that movie it is really nice to hear someone else just express why it's good i have downloaded the yes. porco rosso episode i'm gonna listen to it while i make dinner or yeah yeah so uh other than that um plugs uh i you can find me at em underscore being on twitter uh this podcast of course at normalmapping.com where you can find a bunch of podcasts please listen to reptory screenings it's me jackson and destiny every two weeks uh talking about a movie or two um it's it's very similar to this it's a little less structured than this honestly but i like it a lot it's one of my favorite podcasts and also one that you know don't have quite the listenership i would want um but check it out and you can support abnormal mapping on Patreon conversational mapping, but really you should go uh, support Autumn. Support Audio. So, <laughs> oh, plugs. see, I was gonna like uh, big up repertory screenings for a second because I'm very excited to hear your next episode or the episode that just came out. Um, Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill. Tokyo Drifter is one of the best movies ever, and I haven't seen um branded to kill so branded kill branded kill also pretty good i think i like tokyo drifter more but branded kills like the more interesting movie for sure so you know either or apples and oranges there they're both very good yeah Um, so um 
once I get through like the next three days of Star Wars hyperfixation, I am I'm gonna watch Branded to Kill. I'm I have doing. to tell you, I'm ready to just <laughs> never think about Star Wars again. And I haven't even be, seen the movie yet. I don't have a tickets. I'm just I have, I'm not caught up on Manda. I'm two episodes behind now. I'm like, what if I just dropped it all and just walked away? I think you're super valid. Um, I'm not I'm not going to get over the hyperfixation because um, I have Nora in my life now. But uh, if you can. I, I stopped thinking about Star Wars for eight years one time. It was great. <laughs> um, anyway, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. This might be the first episode we've done since I changed that app. It is. I'm, it is. You did it right after last time. <laughs> I need it. People can still call me Allison, but I just prefer Autumn, and so I just wanted something um, with Autumn in the app. So, anyway... Add autumnal underscore coffee, export odd.io for the Patreon that supports my podcasts. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Star Wars content in that feed in the next couple days. So if you like Ghibli, there's a good chance you've at least seen Star Wars. You should come. <laughs> I was going to say, if you like Ghibli and also like garbage, you can listen to Newbie <laughs> about the Rooster Teeth show Ruby, which I watch a oh. lot despite the fact that it's fucking terrible. <laughs> I I need to get a... We just recorded an episode last night that I need to put out immediately because I need everyone to hear Curly, Nora, and I just, like, melt in real time as just, like, none of us could process what just happened on Ruby. It's the worst show ever. Yep. I like it a lot. It's fucking terrible. It's so- Don't watch it, but if you do, you should listen to Newbie because it's good. And yes. I've been on an episode and I like it. It's got a very chaos energy that this podcast will never have because uh, you put me and Autumn in a room and no one else and we're both very much the hosts of our networks. <laughs> <laughs> but if you bring Nora Jackson into it, like that's when, you know, everything chaos falls to happens. shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're clearly done here. So, uh, until next time, I hope you have a good end of the year and holiday season, everybody. And, you know, uh, maybe get some movies and watch them. They're good. Yeah. Happy holidays, everybody. Buy yourself Porco Rostal Blu-ray for Christmas. Do it. Or I mean, if you're going to buy one Ghibli movie, I think you should get Nausicaa. But if you're going to get two movies, you get Only Yesterday. <laughs> but if you're going to get three movies, you should get Spirited Away. And if you get four <laughs> movies, you should get Ponyo. But if you get five movies, maybe think about Porco Rosso. マロニエの波木が窓辺に見えてたコーヒーを一杯で一日見えない明日を熱い風に吹かれて体中で時を感じたそうだね道端で眠ったこともあったね 
行けないみんなでお金はなくてもなんとか生きてた貧しさが明日を囲んだ小さな下宿屋に幾人も押しかけ朝まで騒いで眠った嵐のように毎日が燃えていた息が切れるまで走ったそうだね写真をご覧よ。ひげづらの男は君だね。どこにいるのか今ではわからない。友達も幾人かいるけど、あの日のすべてが虚しいものだと。それは誰にも言えない。今でも同じように見果てぬ夢を描いて走り続けているよね。どこかで。